Good morning. So you braved the uh, Dakota dust out there? All right. Uh, in preparation for our worship this morning, I'll read from a portion of Paul's letter to the Corinthians, his second letter. Um, we, we looked at it partially um, on last week, and so let's again... Uh, hear God's word and prepare to worship him. First, uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 1. Now I, Paul, myself, am pleading with you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ, who in presence am lowly among you, but being absent am bold toward you. But I beg you, that when I am present, I may not be bold with that confidence by which I intend to be bold against some, who think of us as if we walked according to the flesh. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not fleshly, but mighty in God, for pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments, and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought captive to the obedience of Christ, and being ready to punish all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled." So we have uh, an awareness that we have a war about us. There's going to be a war going on today in the sanctuary. Right? So you're going to be tempted to be distracted. You're going to be tempted to focus on other things. Weapons of our warfare are mighty in God bringing every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. So let's prepare our hearts and our minds uh, for this day that we would uh, not be overcome putting on the shield of faith where we can quench all the fiery darts of the wicked ones. So let's go ahead and take a moment in silent meditation as we prepare to worship our God. Amen. Please rise as we, call, as we hear the call of our Heavenly Father to come into his presence and worship him. The call comes from Psalm 149. Praise the Lord. Sing to the Lord a new song and his praise in the assembly of saints. Let Israel rejoice in their maker. Let the children of Zion be joyful in their king. Let them praise his name with the dance. Let them sing praises to him with the timbrel and harp. For the Lord takes pleasure in his people. He will beautify the humble 
with salvation. Grace to you in peace from God our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. Let us do so. Let us worship our God in the spirit of holiness and humility. And we'll begin with 570 in the hymnal, Praise God from Whom All Blessings Flow. And then uh, hymn number 291, Oh, for a thousand tongues to sing my great Redeemer's praise.
us pray. Father in heaven, we thank you that though we stand here on earth, yet in Christ we are seated in heavenly places. And we join with those who continually around your throne worship you. We join with the angels and just men made perfect around the throne. And so we pray that you give us those eyes to see, hearts that understand the reality of who you are and what, how everything ultimately exists by you and for you, that we have a purpose here on earth, and that is to glorify you. And so we pray that you would enable us to do so today. We pray that our worship would be pleasing in your sight. We pray that you remove any hindrance, any unbelief or rebellion, self-centeredness. Enable us, O Lord, to humble ourselves before you, for you will lift us up. We cast all our cares upon you because you care for us, and so we pray that you'd help us to not bring to remembrance uh, during our worship the things of the earth, but to have our eyes fixed upon you and grow and reorient our minds in understanding that heaven rules earth now. And so we ask, O oh Lord, for the work of your Spirit. We thank you, Holy Spirit, that you're here. You are the teacher. We pray that you would guide us into all truth. And we pray these things for your glory's sake. In Christ's name, amen. amen. Please be seated. This morning we have opportunity to confess our sins with a responsive reading found in your bulletin. That reading comes from Psalm 51, verses 1 through 8. I'll read the light type if you could respond in the dark type. Have mercy upon me, O God, according to your loving kindness, according to the magnitude of your tender mercies. Blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I acknowledge my transgressions, and my sin is always before me. Against you, you only, have I sinned, and done this evil in your sight, that you may be found just when you speak, and blameless when you judge. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin my mother conceived me. Behold, you desire truth in the inward parts, and in the hidden part you will make me to know wisdom. Amen. Again, David goes on to say, Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for the work of your spirit through the prophet Nathan. How David, who committed great sin against you and against man, murder, adultery, covering his sins, not acknowledging them for over a year. We thank you by your spirit you granted him repentance. And what we read today is his cry for mercy. And so it is, Father, we do also cry for mercy. We don't cry for justice, for if we cried for justice, we would be in big trouble. We would be under your wrath and curse. But we cry for mercy. 
we cry that you would not give us what we deserve. According to your loving kindness, according to the multitude of your tender mercies. And so we do want to deal with and confront those things that we have done to offend you, to break your law. We have not loved you with all that you've given to us, with our, all our heart, soul, mind, and everything else. We haven't served you, but served ourselves. We are guilty of will worship, worshiping our own wills, my will, rather than thy will be done. And so we confess that we have offended you. We've not managed time We've not managed the various gifts that you've given to us for your glory. And so we ask for your forgiveness. We also acknowledge that we've sinned against one another in thought, word, deed, attitude, actions. We've murdered, for sin is murder. The wages of sin is death. And so we are guilty of murder. Thought murder, word murder, maybe not physical death, but definitely spiritual. And so we do confess our sins against you and against one another. And we look to, as David did, we look to that sacrifice once for all. As he said, purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. We know that that only happens through Jesus Christ. His blood was shed once for all for the remission of our sins. And so, Lord Jesus, we thank you once again for your great love. Greater love has no one than this, that you would lay down your life for us. So we thank you, Lord Jesus, and we pray, Holy Spirit, that you would apply the redemption accomplished by Christ to us even today. That you would cleanse us from our sins as we've confessed them before you. We hate them. We want to turn from them always more and more. We pray that you would enable us to do so. And grant unto us that heartfelt joy in you through Christ, causing us to take delight in doing your will, living according to all that you have commanded us in all good works. We pray these things now in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so let us do so. Let us uh, celebrate, again, the forgiveness we have in Christ. We do uh, um, are going to sing that psalm, Psalm 51, uh, the C version of it. So if you'll turn in your hymnals to Psalm 51. Again, the importance of confession and also the importance of forgiveness, the forgiveness of God. So... 51C, let us stand and sing, God be merciful to me.
please be seated. How is how important is it to acknowledge your sins? Is it life or death? It's life or death. What is the greatest sin? Self. Self-centered service. Right? We're created not for ourselves, but for Christ. So is it, is it good to do so? Is it healthy to, say, to stop and say, oops, I did it again? Confessing our sins, it's freeing. Sins bind us. Confession through Christ's forgiveness frees us to be able to worship him. And so this morning we have opportunity to worship him by confessing our faith in him. And so if you will turn to question number 23 in the Heidelberg Catechism in that, in that uh, complete gospel booklet, uh, we'll read uh, the answer to question 23 and then we'll go ahead and do the question and answer numbers 24 and 25. Uh, starting to uh, 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 study in the uh, Apostles' Creed. So, um, starting with question number 23, what are these articles? I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only begotten Son, our Lord who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. From there he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Question number 24. How are these articles divided? Into three parts. The first is of God the Father and our creation. The second of God the Son and our redemption. The third of God the Holy Spirit and our sanctification. Since there is but one divine being, why do you speak of three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit? Because God has so revealed himself in his word that these three distinct persons are the one true eternal God. All right. So a very short summary of the articles of the Christian faith, what we are to believe in a sense, the gospel. And if you notice that the gospel, if you want to, uh, from this perspective, the gospel is God. God is the gospel. He's the good news. Right? Yes, what he's done is good news, but he himself is good news. He's the victor. 
He's the conqueror. Notice it talks about the Trinity, the three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and describes their works. God the Father in our creation, and with that will also, he will, as we go into it, will also speak of his ongoing involvement with all creation, providence, the providence of God. We live, we move, we have our being because of God the Father. He created us, he has a purpose for us, and our day-to-day life. All the things we take for granted is only because of the faithfulness of God. You exist. You live and move because of God, his power, his faithfulness. Secondly, God the Son in our redemption. Do we really appreciate, do you really appreciate what you have in Christ? Sometimes familiarity breeds contempt, right? Oh, I know that. No, praise God. Without it, we are dead now, separated from God, and all eternity in hell. It's life and death. Do you trust in Christ alone for salvation? Are you trusting? Are you resting in him? Thirdly, God, the Holy Spirit, and our sanctification. The application of the completed work of Christ. And it's that ongoing work. It's that warfare that we talked about last week and we're going to talk about again today. The Holy Spirit is with us. Praise God for that. Well, notice that. Well, why do we even talk about the Trinity? It doesn't make sense logically. How can three be one? And the answer is because our faith is based on the truth of God's revelation, not our brains. Right? God is three persons, one God. He's revealed himself that way. Do you understand it completely? Will you ever understand it completely in eternity? No. But it's true. We base our faith on the truth of God's revelation of himself. And we worship the triune God because that's who he is. Let God be true and every man a liar. So these three distinct persons are the one true eternal God and the one who loves us. Amen? Amen. Amen. All right, let us prepare to worship uh, or prepare for the sermon. If you will, taking up once again your hymnal, uh, turning to hymn number 544. uh, Lead on, O King Eternal, 544. We've been talking about following our shepherd, following Jesus. He's also the eternal king. Let's sing, 544. Let's stand.
be seated. And if you will please turn in your Bibles to the book of war, the book of Job, the book of enmity, his name means. Job chapter 1. We'll be reading verses 6 through 12, and then chapter 2, verses 1 through 7. Hear now the word of our God. Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and adversary also came among them. And the Lord said to adversary, from where do you come? So adversary answered the Lord and said, From going to and fro on the earth, from walking back and forth on it. Then the Lord said to adversary, Have you considered my servant Job, that there is none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man, one who fears God and shuns evil? So adversary answered the Lord, And said, Does Job fear God for nothing? Have you not made a hedge around him, around his household, and around all that he has on every side? You have blessed the work of his hands, and his possessions have increased in the land. But now, stretch out your hand and touch all that he has, and he will surely curse you to your face. And the Lord said to adversary, Behold, all that he has is in your power, in your hand. Only do not lay a hand on his person. So adversary went out from the presence of the Lord. Now there was a day when the sons of... Well, I'm going to skip down to chapter 2, verse 1. Again, there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, an adversary came also among them to present himself before the Lord. And the Lord said to adversary, From where do you come? So adversary answered the Lord and said, From going to and fro on the earth and from walking back and forth on it. Then the Lord said to adversary, Have you considered my servant Job? that there is none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man, one who fears God and shuns evil. And still he holds fast to his integrity, although you incited me against him to destroy him without cause. So adversary answered the Lord and said, Skin for skin, yes, all that a man has he will give for his life. But stretch out your hand now and touch his bone and his flesh, and he will surely curse you to your face. And the Lord said to adversary, Behold, he is in your hand, but spare his life. So adversary went out from the presence of the Lord and struck Job with painful boils from the sole of his foot to the crown of his head. And he took for himself a potsherd with which to scrape himself while he sat in the midst of the ashes, Then his wife said to him, Do you still hold fast to your integrity? Curse God and die. But he said to her, You speak as one of the foolish women speaks. Shall we indeed accept good from God, and shall we not accept adversity? In all this, Job did not sin with his lips. The grass withers, 
And the flower falls, but God's word abides forever. Shall we pray? Father in heaven, we thank you for this account of the conflict, the war that started in the garden and was there revealed in Job, though Job didn't know it. He didn't have the insights that we just read. He didn't know why the things that he was experiencing, the loss of his, his wealth, the loss of his children, the loss of his health. He did not know why. And yet for your glory, your glorious purposes, he passed through that valley of the shadow of death. And so we pray that you would enable us also as we go through the valley of the shadow of death, as we pass through this veil of tears, as we struggle in this warfare that's all around us that we cannot see. Enable us, O Lord, by faith to press on, to follow Jesus, and to stand, 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 stand with you in the warfare that we, we face every day. We pray that you enable us even now to set our hearts and our minds on you as there are many distractions that even now are harming us, are hindering us. Set our hearts and our minds fixed completely on Jesus. We pray that we would see Jesus, hear Jesus, and glorify him today. We pray this now in Jesus' name. Amen. Beloved in the Lord Jesus Christ. So, how did your wrestling match go this week? You lost? Still fighting. Good. Thank you for answering back. The question is, are, were you, did you actually take and apply? For, there's some of you that weren't here, but for those of you who are, that were here, did you actually apply that one concept, and that is the awareness that there is something else going on in the things that are going on in your life, that there is an invisible enemy and there is warfare that is going on? Did, did that, in other words, there is also spiritual reasons for the things that you're dealing with? Did that take hold? Did you, did you, were you aware? Um, one of the things that was fascinating yeah, a Sunday afternoon is I went to go and edit the sermon on sermon audio. And the audio cut out at about 10 minutes into the service. And the recording, because I, I determined it was, we had uh, no space on the hard drive. So I deleted half of the stuff on the computer, and now it's working, I hope. Um, and so and it was like, the first response was, oh, spiritual warfare. The devil doesn't want that message about his devices to go out. So then I thought, well, you know, about seven or eight years ago, I preached the same sermon in Los Angeles, and I have all the recordings of all the sermons. And so I thought, oh, I'll just go ahead and pull that one up and uh, help uh, for the people in Weezer that listened to the sermon a week later. And I went to go find them. The sermon before was there and the sermon after was there, but that particular sermon is gone. And I went, hmm, spiritual warfare. Today, this morning, I wanted to grab a book called uh, Screwtape Letters. 
I know I have a copy of it somewhere in my library. Can't find it. Hmm. Spiritual warfare. One of the things that I was hoping that you took away last week is that awareness. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, Paul writes here. And let's read that passage. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand in against the methods, the wiles, the trickery of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. We're at war. Are we ignorant of Satan's devices? Now, if you notice, in the, in the bulletin you have the outline, and if you were here last week, you'd be scratching your head saying, wait a second, that looks just like last week. What are you doing, Pastor? Well, what I'm doing is what I was encouraged to do during the Wednesday Bible study by my elder and by the, those there, and that is, well, I'm not going to let Satan steal that message so guess what? You're getting it again. Oh, no, really? Amen. Amen. But what I've experienced before, I've preached the same sermon in two different churches on the same day, and there were two different sermons. So you'll, you can test this. This for me is, a, I've never done this before, preached the same sermon twice in two weeks at the same church. So this is a new experience for me. I came into this uh, pulpit with fear and trepidation. Uh, please be patient with me. With that in mind, let us go ahead and let us look at that main point again. God's word declares that we are at war with an unseen enemy that is far superior in strength, skill, ability, I would add experience, than we will ever have in ourselves. Understand that? And we can't see him. We see the effects of demonic forces. And we see the tools of Satan. Those in his kingdom. The Bible says if you're not in Christ, you're in the kingdom of darkness. Your tool can be a tool. Useful tool. Our Lord commands us to be aware. Like we said last uh, two weeks ago, call to arms. Beware of Satan's devices, his trickeries, in order to wage a good warfare for and through our Lord Jesus Christ. So again, we need to be aware. Heaven rules earth now, right? That's one of the reasons why we come to church, to be reminded that the, though we're in war, though we're up against an enemy that far exceeds us in power and ability and skill, heaven rules earth now. Heaven wins. Christ won at the cross. Well, actually, he won even before the cross. He defeated Satan in the wilderness, didn't he? 
and continued to defeat Satan throughout his earthly ministry and definitively crushed his head at the cross. And now we wrestle against someone who is wounded, has received a death blow, but yet he is very powerful. So the first point, we need to be aware of the wiles of the devil, the methods of the devil. We don't want to give him glory, but we do want to be aware so that we're not ignorant of his devices. So what, uh, what is he? What is his most effectiveness? As I said last week, his greatest effectiveness is to keep hidden and make us think that our problems are only natural ones. Right? You heard that? Be aware of that. Uh, many years ago, there was an artist, a musician, his name was Keith Green, for those older folks that may have heard of him. And he decided to write a song once describing the rejoicing of the devil concerning how we don't believe that he exists. Or we ignore the fact that there is spiritual warfare going on. And so here's what he wrote, the devil speaking. Oh, my job keeps getting easier as time keeps slipping away. I can imitate the brightest light and make the night look just like day. I put some truth in every lie to tickle itching ears. You know, I'm drawing people just like flies. They like what they hear. I'm gaining power by the hour. They're falling by the score. You know, it's getting very simple now since no one believes in me anymore. Oh, heaven's just the state of mind. My books read on your shelf. Oh, have you heard that God is dead? I made that one up myself. They're dabbling in magic spells. They get their fortunes read. You know, they heard the truth, but turned away and followed me instead. I used to have to sneak around, but now they just open their doors. No one is watching for my tricks since no one believes in me anymore. Everyone likes a winner. With my help, you're guaranteed to win. And hey, man, you ain't no sinner. No, you've got the truth within. And as your life slips by, you believe the lie that you did it on your own. But don't worry, I'll be there to help you share a dark, eternal home. A dark, eternal home. Now, it sounds somewhat mocking, isn't it? That he's mocking the devil. But do you hear... In a sense, that book, the screw tape letters that C.S. Lewis wrote, he just summarizes that book, doesn't he, in that song. If we are ignorant of his devices, guess what? We are sitting ducks. We are targets. So we need to be aware of his methods. We need to be aware of his devices. Um, Paul, earlier in chapter 4, verse 14, says that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about by every wind of teaching, 
by the trickery of men, in the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. And he's talking about men. In that verse, how much more the devil? Is he a deceitful plotter? Is he a trickster? And the answer is yes. He's the master deceiver. Where do we meet him in the Bible? What was he doing the first time he's, his actions are recorded in Genesis? What does he do? He comes as a serpent. He comes as a speaking animal. That should have been Adam's first clue, shouldn't it? He named the animals. He evaluated them. He should have right there said, wait a second, serpents don't speak. What do you, what's going on here? Adam's job was to guard the garden. He failed. And what did the serpent do? What did Satan? Again, I kept reading adversary. Did you notice anybody get annoyed by that in, in the passage in Job? I translated the word Satan means adversary. So I wanted to make that point. The author is saying Satan is God's adversary and yours. So what does Satan do? What does the serpent do? He starts talking to the woman. He ignores the man who's standing there, I believe, and goes to her. What does he do? Well, according to her and according to the Apostle Paul, he deceives her. He uses methods, devices. How does he start off? He starts off by saying what? Is God fair? Has God indeed said, you shall not eat of every tree of the garden? What is he doing? He's saying God's not fair. There's something wrong with God. He doesn't say it expressly, but he is implying it. And what does she do? She says, oh, no, God said we can eat of every tree of the, of the garden. So she responds, but then she adds, there's something there that catches she starts to doubt the goodness of God. She adds to the word of God. Nor shall you touch it, lest you die. So then what does Satan do? He bold-faced lies, the opposite. No, God said you shall surely die. He says God, you shall not surely die. Quotes God, puts a knot in there. Bold-faced lie. And what happens? She falls for it. And so does Adam. Although he was not deceived, he sinned. And the war began. Well, God actually set the war in place, verse 15 of that book, of that chapter. Enmity, Job, between the woman and the serpent. So he's the master deceiver. And again, borrowing from Jay Adams, I like what he said. It seems that Satan, the ferocity of the, en of the enemy, is only intensified by the fact that he has been defeated and thrown out of heaven. That is Satan. Like a wounded lion, all the more dangerous because he sees that his end is near Satan, or adversary, strikes out in desperate blows at whomever he can. So although the strong man, Satan, has been bound, 
Matthew 12, 29, Christ has triumphed over his minions and disarmed them. And even though Satan is a defeated foe, he is still a formidable enemy whose final end has not yet come. In the period that remains, he has determined that if he cannot defeat the armies of heaven, he will make war on the saints. And he's quoting a bunch of scriptures. Satan's angry. Satan knows he's going to lose. But instead of giving up and rolling over and playing dead, he fights ferociously. You're aware that a, uh, a wounded animal is much more dangerous. So is Satan. He goes on to say, uh, Luther said it, his power and craft are great in uh, Mighty Fortress hymn. The devil is by nature more powerful than human beings, and he is too crafty for us to withstand unaided in our debilitated, sinful state. Again, Spurgeon said, He is more cunning than the wisest. How soon he entangled Solomon. He is stronger than the strongest. How fatally he overthrew Samson. Yes, and men after God's own heart, like David, have been led into most grievous sins by his seductions. We just, what did we just do? We just read Psalm 51, didn't we, earlier? We sang Psalm 51. What was the basis of Psalm 51? David's confession concerning his fall, his adultery, his murder, his covering that up for a year. So we are battling someone that out- matches us. We're called to wrestle against a foe that could flatten us in a moment if God was not involved. So we are not ignorant of who we're facing, but yet we're called to do hand-to-hand, close-in combat. We are called to wrestle We're called to fight close in. Will we get injured in the process? Hand to hand. Yeah. What are we called to do? To persevere in the faith. Do we have any hope? If if the enemy is so powerful, what is our hope? If he can squash us like a bug... Do we have any hope? Is there any scripture that you would go to when you start to feel like, I'm just getting overwhelmed, I can't handle this, I'm, I'm failing, I can't do it, uh, I'm going to be defeated? There's two that come to mind. One is what? Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Isn't that a comfort to know that God the Holy Spirit, the all-powerful Holy Spirit, dwells with you. Does that bring comfort when you're being tempted? Oh, I can't handle this. I'm getting overwhelmed. Yeah, but greater is he. God is with me. Jesus said, I never leave you or forsake you. But the one that, again, I find the most fascinating is picking up on the, the gospel in Genesis. Paul writes... 
Now to him who is able to establish you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ according to the revelation of the mystery kept secret since the world began, but now made manifest, and by the prophetic scriptures made known to all nations according to the commandment of the everlasting God for the obedience to the faith, to God alone, wise, be glory through Jesus Christ forever and ever, amen, that because of that, he says, and the God of peace will crush Satan under your feet shortly. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Okay. Does that bring comfort? Isn't that an amazing statement? That God will crush Satan under your feet and my feet? He who is far more powerful than we will ever imagine, and yet in and through Christ, we are greater. We can overcome. We can persevere. The victory is won. We're dealing with a mopping up operation. Very painful, tough situation. Again, think about the Marines on some of those islands in the Pacific as they fought across the Pacific. Think of Iwo Jima. How many thousands of Marines died trying to conquer this little spit of land, this little island? We fight a great warfare. And we're not talking about some theoretical thing. Do you understand that? We're talking about reality. We're not talking about some theological concept. This comes home every day. It's happening right now. Are you aware? Are you aware that right now there's, there's a temptation to not listen to what I'm saying? Focus off on something else, right? The mind taking thought every captive, take captive every thought to the obedience of Christ. So again, what's the weapons? Where's the warfare? The warfare is earthly, is on earth. But the warfare, according to our text, is to be looked at from a heavenly perspective. For we wrestle not, verse 12, against flesh and blood, earthly things, but against principalities, powers, rulers in the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts or armies of wickedness in heavenly places. So we're dealing with spiritual things. We're dealing with heaven. We're dealing with heavenly beings. In other words, we need to be reminded, we need to continually be reminded that heaven rules earth and that we need to look at life from a heavenly perspective. Isn't that why we're here today? To get a heavenly perspective on earth. To stop whatever we're doing on our phones or in our busy lives for a moment and to say, okay, I need to be able to properly understand what's going on around me, that I'm in, at war. And so we come and we gather in the name of Jesus. And what does it say? We go to heaven. We're in heaven right now in the spirit. Why? So that we look at God, get the right perspective, 
so that when we look on earth, we understand better what's going on around us, what we can't see. Again, going back to Paul's writing to the Colossians, he says in chapter 2, Colossians 2:15 But you being dead in beginning verse 13 but you being dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh he is made alive together with Christ having forgiven your all your trespasses having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that is against us which were contrary to us and he has taken it out of the way having nailed it to the cross, having disarmed principalities and powers, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in it. Jesus, as uh, what Paul is saying here, when Caesar conquered, or when the general, the Roman general, conquered an army, an enemy, he would come in back into Rome in his triumphant entry with all of his captives walking before him, the defeated army before him, and he would come in with, on his chariot. And all of Rome would be celebrating the triumph of Caesar, of the general. What Paul is saying here, Jesus is triumphant. Let me read it again. Having disarmed principalities and powers, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them. But did you notice earlier, he talks about us. One of Satan's tools, one of Satan's uh, jobs is to accuse us. The accuser of the brethren, that's his title. He's the accuser. But if there's nothing to accuse us of, he's speechless, right? If you're an accuser and you go to accuse somebody and there's nothing, you have to make it up and it doesn't, it falls flat. Well, again, listen to what it says. And you being dead in your trespasses and uncircumcision of your flesh, he is made alive with him, having forgiven your trespasses, having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that, is against us, which was contrary to us, and he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. There is therefore now no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus. What can Satan say to God about you if you're in Christ? Nothing. The accuser of the brethren is cast out. Sure, he can make noise, but do you listen? He maybe can't accuse you before God, but he sure tries to do it in your ear. Oh, you're no good. Oh, you're a failure. Oh, you're a sinner. Oh, you can't do anything. Well, I can probably multiply all the little thoughts that come in your head, right? Especially those of you that have a sense of spirit. He plays you like a fiddle. Satan does. The weapons of our warfare are designed to overcome. The helmet of salvation, the shield of faith, we'll be looking at that. 
So we do war against spiritual forces. And we are aware that the weapons are aimed at our minds. And so Paul says, again, we read it earlier, the weapons of our warfare are not fleshly but powerful, bringing into captivity our thoughts. I don't know about you, but to me, that is the greatest difficulty in my sanctification is, keep, is bringing every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. I've said this before. Have you ever tried to do that? Say, okay, I'm going to just maintain... Less than 30 seconds, I'm off on some thought. Not necessarily sinful, but just bringing every thought captive. Can I do that? Can you do that? Have you been able to do that? More than maybe a second or two? Have every thought captive? No, it's impossible in my strength. But yet, what does God say? I can do all things. I can bring those thoughts. Yeah, maybe they went off, but let's bring them back. Recenter. So mind warfare, that's his, that's his number one uh, focus, his en- the, our enemy of our soul. Taking every thought t- captive. So again, third, uh, focusing third point, specific tactics. What are these weapons, devices of Satan? Well, number one, when it comes to unbelievers, they are deceived. I'm going to say something, I don't know, rebuke me afterwards if I, should, if I need to hear it. But in a sense, have you ever heard the phrase, a useful idiot? Unbelievers in Satan's hands are useful. They're fools, the Bible says. Fool says in his heart there is no God. They're useful in his hands. They're his tools. They're deceived. Where does that written? Well, there's a lot of places. The one that I quoted last week, I'll come back to it again. Paul writing to Titus, chapter 3, verse 3. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving various lusts and pleasure living in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. Notice, notice Paul includes himself and Titus. We were all once foolish. That's the natural state. Child is born foolish. Grows up foolish. And unless God intervenes, we'll be a fool. Disobedient. Isn't that a good way to describe anyone in Adam? I serve myself, not God. Deceived. Serving various desires and pleasures. Living in malice and envy. Hateful and hating one another. Boy, that sure describes our culture. But, I love that, on the contrary... When the kindness and love of God, our Savior, toward man appeared, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us 
through the washing of regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us abundantly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, and having been justified by his grace, we should become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. This is a faithful saying, and these things I want you to affirm constantly, that those who have believed in God should be careful to maintain good works. These are good and profitable to men. Notice that contrast. But, on the contrary, God, in his kindness, in his love, he saved us from being fools, from being deceived. Do we still get tricked? Do we still get deceived? And the answer is yes. But we are becoming more aware of his devices. I hope you are. Again, I, I guess that the Lord wanted us to hear this again. And sometimes, what is the danger of hearing something over and over again? The danger is, oh, I've heard that already. Uh, I already know that. I heard one time someone say, uh, a young Christian say, well, you know, I've read the whole Bible. I don't need to read it again because I've read it all. What do you think about that thought? Why is it that you keep reading it over and over again? Well, it's like saying, well, I've eaten before. I don't need to eat anymore. <laughs> right? You die. Exactly. Thank you. Very much so. We need to feed on the Word of God. We need to, be, we need to hear it. Uh, what is that one hymn? Tell me the old, old story. I need to hear it again. And again. I need to hear the gospel. Why? Because I'm at war. And my mind and my thoughts deceive me. My enemy hates me. Again, Paul already, I, I mentioned chapter 2 last time, but let's look at verse uh, chapter 4. He says the same kind of thing, and that is in verse 17. This I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord, that you should no longer conduct your life, walk, as the rest of the Gentiles walk, in the futility of their minds, having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the blindness of their heart, who, being past feeling, has given themselves over to lewdness, to work all uncleanness with greediness. Wow. And what is he saying? Y'all were there. I was there. You were there. Again, I therefore testify of the Lord that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk. What he's describing is the natural man. The people you work with, the people you live next door to, the people you interact with at the grocery store, school, whatever, if they're not in Christ, he's describing them. They're foolish. Their mind, what they think is futile. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity under the sun, apart from Christ. Because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the Blindness of their hearts. That's why the Holy Spirit needs to do the work of regeneration. Do heart surgery. Remove that stony heart. Put in a new heart, heart of flesh. That's the work of God. 
Pray for those who are bound in that, those that are deceived, in bondage, though claiming to be free. They're in the kingdom of darkness. Well, what about the believer? What about you and I? We're his enemy number one, right? You are his target. You were once his captive, and he didn't pay you much mind, but now adversary, Satan, hates you because he hates Christ. And attacks you because in attacking you, he's attacking Christ. He's nipping at Christ's heel. Think of Saul. Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me, Jesus said. And Saul said, who are you talking about? When you touch the apple of my eye, when you touch my child, you attack me. So what does he do? What is his methods? Well, like I said last time, he likes to entice us to sin and then attack us for sinning. Right? He sets us up and knocks us down. Fiery darts of fear, fiery darts, thoughts, accusations, whatever, and then we sin and then he hammers us. We listen to him. Or we listen to others who are instruments being used, tools in his hands. He causes us to delight in something, and then when we fall, then he causes us to despair. Crash and burn. He sets us up and knocks us down. So what does Paul say? We are not ignorant. We shouldn't be ignorant that that's what he does. Again, as a pastor, what I've seen in the, the greatest or the most effective tool in Satan's arsenal is the wedge. Divide and conquer. When... We were living in L.A. We drove a half an hour to get to church. Without a doubt, unless we were on our guard, a conflict arose in the car between my wife and I driving that half, that, that, in that half-hour period of time. It got to be almost comical. We got to a point where we said, when we got in the car, let's not talk for the next 30 minutes. Because Satan is here with us and he is going to disturb and distract and divide us before we go to church. Now we only have a mile away, so we don't, there's not enough time, but we still don't talk for, one, for five minutes while driving here because we've learned his devices. Anybody else have that problem, experience that problem? Yeah. Divide and conquer. Use the wedge. He's the accuser of the brethren. He wants us to delight in sin, and then he, just, he brings us down. He works, someone said earlier, uh, uh, this past couple weeks, or, Pastor, you've been using the word distraction a lot lately. And isn't that what this can be? I've been thinking about that conversation I've got it here going off on my, every time, bing, 
And I, do I really need to look at my watch every time there's a message? Sometimes it's a very important event going on, and this thing goes off, and I'm distracted. My mind goes somewhere else. We live in a world, we live in a lot of distraction, diversion. So what do we do? How, do we, uh, how are we victorious? Hopefully you heard this last week. Number one, be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. How do you overcome the wicked one? Paul, Paul says, even our faith. Right? Trusting in the Lord. Taking up the whole armor of God. Taking up God's word. Hiding it in our hearts. Applying it to our lives. Going to God in prayer. Uh, he's going to be talking about that when we get into the whole armor. The last piece of armor is prayer. I liken prayer to uh, the artillery. Effective tool. Prayer. The word of God in prayer. Be intimately acquainted with your own heart. I mentioned that one earlier. Do you? How much time do you spend examining yourself? Paul says we're supposed to do that. Do you? Do you know your heart? Do you know where your weaknesses are? We all have weaknesses. Are you aware of your besetting sins? Are you aware of how Satan plays you, tricks you? Looking for scripture now to shore up that area? Sanctification, right? The work of the Holy Spirit, making us more like Jesus. I mentioned last week a book, this book, The War Within, a biblical strategy for spiritual warfare. I actually found this on the bookshelf over here. I'm going to put it over there. Anyone who want to borrow it, it's a very good book on it. There's another copy of this book, Spiritual Warfare in the Believer's Life by Charles Spurgeon. That's, all, that's sitting over there right now. A um, couple different tools. If you want to grab it, I'll, like I said, I'll bring that, set that out. Borrow it and return it. Um, read God's word with observation. And on and on. There's many ways. We'll be talking about some of those next week as we get into the armor of God, what they are and how to use them. So with that, let's close. Father in heaven, we do thank you once again Man plans his ways, but you direct the steps, and uh, it is your will for us to hear this same message over again. Why? Because it's important. Because we are at war. Yes, you started the war. You will finish the war. You, will, you are the victorious one. But yet we're in the midst of it. We're in the trenches. We pray, O oh Lord, that you would grant us the grace to take up the whole armor of God and to stand, having done all to stand, standing in and with Jesus. We ask for your grace in this endeavor, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you all. Let us respond to God's word by giving of his tithes and our offerings.
pray. Father in heaven, we do come to you and we present to you these tithes and offerings and what they represent, and that is everything that we have. We are yours. We've been redeemed. We have been adopted. Our identity has changed. We are in Christ. We are called to be sons and daughters and servants, managers of your gifts. So we thank you, Lord, for those multitude of privileges and the identity that is greater than anything we have to be in Christ. And we do thank you, Lord, for the ability to give back to you a portion. And we pray for wisdom in the use of these tools, these finances, for the sake of your kingdom and for the gospel to go forth and for your people to be built up, that we would see that victory that we talked about overcoming the world of flesh and the devil. We pray also, O oh Lord, for our needs individually and as a church in those things, that we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against spiritual things, spiritual warfare. Again, grant us awareness this week. Yes, I, we know that you will give us homework. Enable us, O oh Lord, in the midst to overcome even through faith and trust and rest in you. We do lift up to you to those who can't be here today because of sickness or because of the, the weather or other things that hind, are hindering them from being able to be here today. We ask for your blessing upon them and healing. We pray for those who are uh, far away. We think of Skip and Darlene. Uh, we thank you, O oh Lord, for the blessing of having them as part of us, even though they are not in, in the state, not near us. We pray, O oh Lord, your blessing upon them. We pray, O oh Lord, for your blessing upon those members of the church that are in Idaho. Uh, we pray for your blessing upon them as they are also worshiping you uh, there. And we do pray that you would raise up a pastor for them and that you would work in the hearts of classes and synod to um, establish them as a mission work of the RCUS and support so that they can, there can be a missionary, a pastor there planting that church. Give them wisdom concerning whether to move uh, from Weezer to another town nearby for a more effective ministry. Uh, give the steering committee wisdom in that. We ask, O oh Lord, for your blessing upon the leadership of this church, um, we pray for Dan, we pray uh, for Jeremy and for Pastor, and we do pray that you would raise up more elders and deacons uh, for this congregation. We thank you, Lord, for the faithful service, and we pray your blessing. We thank you, Lord, for the gift of children. We, we consider the three uh, ladies mentioned in the bulletin, Marie, Ani, Miracle, Maílo, and Rachel Wojtek as they are all in that first trimester of pregnancy. We ask, O oh Lord, for your protection, mercy, and healthy moms and healthy babies. And we pray that, yeah, that the uh, birthing would be um, successful and these children would be raised in the Lord. We thank you, Lord, for the ability to come and to lay before you the various needs we have or, and that others have. We think of the pastors that have been recently dealing with um, debilitating issues and their progress. We thank you that for Hank 
uh, he uh, went from a walker to a cane to now he's not used having to need the cane uh, as much. So we pray that you continue to heal him. We thank you that he was told initially by the doctor that he may never get out of the wheelchair, and yet now he's walking without a cane. So we thank you for answered prayer there. We pray for Mike Lassley as well as he continues to uh, struggle uh, recovering. We thank you that he's able to be back in the pulpit and preaching, and we pray for these two men in particular as we get ready for classes, as one is the president and one is the clerk. And so we pray, O Lord, for your blessing upon them as they prepare uh, to lead us as a classes. Uh, we lay before you others. Um, we think of Lee Johnson, who is slowly recovering from a stroke. Uh, we ask, O oh Lord, for your mercy there. We pray for the open pulpits, the churches that don't have pastors, and the mission works that need pastors. And we pray you'd raise up men uh, for those churches. We thank you for answered prayer in, the, in many pulpits have been filled. We lay before you this nation, this world, that is at war in many ways, a culture that is at war with truth. We pray, O oh Lord, that in the midst of judgment, remember mercy. And we pray these things now in Jesus' name. And we pray the prayer that you taught your disciples to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Did you notice that in the prayer? It's talking about deliverance from evil and temptation. Was Jesus aware of that? Is that an important part of our prayer? Yes. So let's stand and sing. Uh, there's an insert in the bulletin. Uh, o church, arise and put your armor on. Hear the call of Christ, our captain. So let's stand and sing.
receive now God's blessing and benediction. But you, beloved, building yourselves up on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. And on some have compassion, making a distinction. But others save with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garment defiled by the flesh. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy, to God our Savior, who alone is wise, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and forever.